Those of you who know me or have spent any length of time listening to me teach, you know that I consume a lot of information. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a ton of lectures, talks, teachings, and sermons. I read and listen to a lot of different books. And I'm constantly reading news articles, periodicals, research studies. I realize that I'm not the only one that consumes a lot of information. We are bombarded constantly, you and me, by a flow of new information that is coming at us at an almost overwhelming pace. We live in an information age, and we are people that are inundated with information incessantly. So we consume a lot of it. But as a result of all of the inundation of information, we have something of what you might call like a selection pressure that is on us to try to quickly triage and arbitrage the information that is coming at us in that constant flow. We got to kind of categorize it and decide upon whether or not it's useful, uh, maybe see if it's interesting or not interesting, helpful or not helpful. So a lot of the things that fly at us, they just kind of scroll past and we let them fall into the trash can of our brains. Even when we are watching or listening to a talk like you are listening to me right now, a lot of what I am saying, you unfortunately for me are not really holding on to it to really deeply engage with it. You're kind of just listening casually, probably. I hope that you'll really like be gripped by the things I'm saying, but I realize that a lot of what's coming at us, we just kind of filter through it very, very quickly. But as we open up the scriptures this morning, I wanna open to a passage of scripture that I'm gonna ask you to really focus on the words that I'm going to read. These words were written nearly 3,000 years ago by King David of Israel, who is considered the great psalmist of Israel. And he writes these words in Psalm 16, beginning at verse seven. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Now it is clear that this passage of scripture in Psalm 16, especially verses 10 through 11, have a focus on the Messiah, on Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus. But I think that there's, there's more to it than just that. Several weeks ago, a man that attends our church emailed me a question. And unfortunately, he had to email me a couple of times to get me to respond to the question because I've just been bombarded by a number of things that I've been juggling the last several weeks. But this last Sunday night, I finally was able to sit down and really put a response together. His question had to do with death and heaven. He was reading about the second coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And there is a line in that passage where Paul says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In the chronology of what the Apostle Paul is writing about in 1 Thessalonians, the rising of the dead in Christ seems to come right before or right at the time that Jesus is returning at his second coming, something that the church has been looking forward to and hope for centuries. We still look forward to that second coming. And so Paul talks about the dead in Christ rising first, just at that time that Christ is returning and coming back. So when we die, the question that this individual sent to me was basically, when we die, do we immediately go to be with the Lord? 
Or do we not rise to be with the Lord until his second coming? That's a really good question, an important thing to kind of wade through and think about. And I am sorry that I left this guy hanging without an answer for several weeks. But one of the verses that I gave to him in my answer was out of this passage in Psalm 16. King David says, my heart is glad and I rejoice. My flesh is at rest and at peace in this hope that I have. Those are the very topics that we've been talking about the last several weeks as we are in this season of Advent. We've talked about peace and we've talked about hope. And so David says, my heart is glad. I rejoice. My flesh is at rest and peace in this hope because you, O God, will not leave my soul in the grave among the dead, nor will you allow me to rot in the grave. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand pleasures forevermore. This Advent season, we are talking about the common topics that Christians have been focusing on for a very long period of time at this season every single year. And every Christmas at Cross Connection Church, we kind of circle back and talk about these things as well. So we've talked about hope and we've talked about peace. And David, in this passage, he's talking about those things. It can be distressing to think about death. I I know that it's something that a lot of people don't like to think about because death is near the top of the list of things that people are afraid of. And the man who sent me the question several weeks ago that I finally answered last Sunday night, he was clearly distressed about the uncertainties surrounding death. But 3,000 years ago, David says, I have peace and I have hope, which gives me a gladness, a rejoicing because I'm not going to rot in the grave. I'm going to walk on the path of life and I'm going to come into God's presence and there will be fullness of joy forever. Those words have always been a real encouragement to me. Those are great words. They are hope-filled, peace-producing sort of words. And when we join those words together with what Christ says, what Jesus says in John chapter 14, my hope and my peace in God It only goes up. We looked at this last week, John chapter 14. We read, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, Thomas, one of Jesus's disciples said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered with these very famous words. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 3,000 years ago, King David said, God, I trust that you will show me the path of life, that you will show me the way to come into your presence. And because I know that you're going to do that, because I have faith that you will do that, I have rest and I have hope. I have peace and I have hope. And then about a thousand years after David wrote those words, a descendant of David, the son of David, Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So let not your heart be troubled. Jesus says, don't be troubled when you're thinking about the future things. When you're thinking about the distress of death, he says, trust in me and do not be troubled. Now, All of that is kind of a long meandering way to get to this. David in that passage in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. I absolutely love those words. In your presence is fullness of joy. 
On this third Sunday in Advent 2021, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First question is simply this. What would fullness of joy look like or be like? I've been thinking about that question for quite a bit this last week, kind of meditating, if you will, on that question. What would fullness of joy look like or what would it be like? If each of us took time to write down some answers to that question, what would fullness of joy look like or be like? The odds are that each of us would come up with different answers. There would be a number of different things that we would write. But after a while, when we brought all of the answers together, we would begin to see that there were some common themes in answering that question. What would fullness of joy be like or look like? And I think some of the common themes would be things like fullness of joy would be connected to being close to and united with people that I love. That would be an aspect of fullness of joy. Fullness of joy would be connected to having safety and security. It would be connected to not having to worry about provision or protection. That's safety and security. It would be connected to being free of guilt and shame and being free of worry and anxiety. I'm sure that we could come up with a whole bunch of other things about what would fullness of joy look like or be like, but these things really encapsulate a lot of it. Fullness of joy is the fullness of connectedness and relationship. I don't think that we can have fullness of joy and not be connected to those that we love, be in relationship with those that we love. Fullness of joy is the fullness of rest and provision, having your needs taken care of, not having to worry about those things. Fullness of joy is the completeness of forgiveness and salvation, that I'm not worried or anxious about all the things that I've done. I'm not gripped by um, shame or guilt. And fullness of joy is the fullness of peace and hope. So what would fullness of joy look like? It looks like all of those things, peace and hope, salvation, forgiveness, provision and rest, connectedness and relationship. But that comes to the second question. Remember, I told you there was two questions. So first one, what would fullness of joy look like or be like? Second question, how many of you would want to have fullness of joy? And really, in asking that question, I, I don't think there's anybody that would say they don't want to have fullness of joy. Who wouldn't want fullness of joy? You would have to be a complete fool to not want to have fullness of joy. But I do think that some people will resist the idea of fullness of joy because they just don't think that that's possible. But I want to show you today as we go through the scriptures on this, you know, third Sunday in Advent that Christ's arrival makes fullness of joy accessible. Christ's arrival makes fullness of joy accessible. Now, how do I know that? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the path into the Father's presence, and in God's presence is fullness of joy. So Christ's arrival makes fullness of joy accessible to us. It makes it available to you and to me. This is the promise that we have from the prophet Isaiah that we've looked at the last couple of weeks, the passage that's associated with Christmas so much in a lot of different Christmas cards found in Isaiah chapter 9, where we read about the child and the son that is given to us, the one who brings great joy. So going back to Isaiah chapter 9, we read this in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The prophet says, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They, the nation, rejoices before you according to the joy of the harvest, or as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The promised son of Isaiah 9-6, the one who's called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, he is the source and the bringer of great joy. We see that described here in this passage. The prophet talks about those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And when this great light comes and shines upon them, it's going to bring great joy. And the prophet describes the joy. He talks about it being like the joy when you bring in the harvest. Or if we were to update that to 21st century language, it would be like the joy in bringing in an end of the year bonus, like a huge end of the year bonus. Or it's like the joy of those who are dividing the spoil. And who divides the spoil? Well, the old saying is, to the victors go the spoil. So what kind of joy would you have if you're the winner of the battle? Or like, you're the winner of the Super Bowl. What kind of joy do they experience when they win the great the great big game or they win the battle? So Isaiah says, there's this great joy that's going to come. And what is the source of this great joy? Who's the bringer of this great joy? He says, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And this one is going to bring this great joy. We find in the New Testament at the Annunciation of the Shepherds in the Nativity story. Hopefully you've heard the Nativity story before or you've read the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel or Matthew's Gospel. So you kind of know the story a little bit. And you remember there were shepherds in the field and the angel came to the shepherds who were there in the field. And we see the Annunciation to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 verse 10. It says, The angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So notice that the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy. So the coming of Christ into this world is the bringing in of this great joy. In Isaiah chapter 7, we read another prophetic advent verse, another verse that you find on a lot of Christmas cards this time of year. In Isaiah 7 verse 14, we read this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that word Emmanuel, it means God with us. So what does that mean as it relates to joy and the access to fullness of joy? Well, again, King David wrote, in his presence, that is the presence of Almighty God, in his presence is fullness of joy. This is because God, he is joy. He is the embodiment of joy. So when Christ comes into the world, he doesn't just make the fullness of joy available or accessible to us. Jesus is the fullness of joy embodied, which means when you come into Christ's presence and you receive Christ into your life, you are in the presence of the fullness of joy and you are receiving his joy into your life. So Jesus in John chapter 14, he opens that passage by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house or many mansions. Were it not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. 
That is the ultimate promise. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and the path into the eternal presence of God. And not only into the eternal presence of God, but into a joy that is increasing and everlasting. And in his presence and in his ultimate kingdom, there shall be, Revelation chapter 21 says, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, or pain. So if you're a Christian today, that's what you have to look forward to. That is the hope that I have as a Christian. I have a sure and steadfast hope that I will be with the Lord in his presence because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he makes it possible for me and for you as you trust in him to come into the presence of Almighty God and in his presence is fullness of joy. So that's what we look forward to. We look forward to a time where there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. We will be in the presence of the Lord. We will experience pleasures forevermore. But that leaves kind of a question. What about now? Is my hope for fullness of joy something that I have to wait and hope for only in heaven? If it is only in the next life that we have hope of an eternal joy, where sadness and sorrow and pain are gone, if that's the only hope we have, then I would say it's kind of a a sad state to be in. Is the hope for joy only something that will be satisfied when we die and we go into the next life? I don't think so. I believe that we can begin to experience joy in Christ right now. By faith in Christ, we receive joy that is increasing unto abundance for eternity. While I was thinking about the topic of joy this last week and just searching around for various things on the internet, I came upon some pastor's website. I don't even know who this guy is, but he was talking about this topic of joy. And he wrote these words, and I found that this really kind of, uh, I found myself agreeing with this as I read it. One of the greatest transformations I experienced upon becoming a Christian is the realization of genuine peace and joy, even when the circumstances around me swirl out of my control. That has absolutely been my experience, and it's been my observation as well as I look at other people who walk with the Lord. One of the greatest transformations I experienced upon becoming a Christian is the realization of genuine peace and joy. So in thinking about that, the question is, how can we lay hold of this experience of this joy, this genuine peace and joy, even in difficult circumstances? And there's a couple different ways that I want to answer that. First is to say that we need to receive the saving grace of Christ. When we receive the saving grace of Christ, it brings peace with God, like we talked about last week, and it brings hope from God, like we talked about two weeks ago, but it also brings to us the ultimate joy of God in eternity. And we have looked at this the last couple of weeks when we talked about peace and we talked about hope from Paul in Romans chapter five. And this is where peace and hope and joy come from. So Romans chapter five, verse one, again, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice, there's that joy, in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory or rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. 
So there in that passage in Romans chapter 5, we see all of these themes that we have been talking about. We talked about hope in God, a sure and steadfast hope that does not disappoint a couple of weeks ago. We talked about peace from God and peace with God and the peace of God this last week. And now we're talking about joy. So all of these Advent topics, hope, peace, and joy, where do they come from? They come as we are justified by faith. When we trust in Christ Jesus, we immediately have peace with God. And that peace with God gives us hope for eternity. And we have rejoicing in the midst of any circumstance that we go to, even go through, even through tribulations, even through difficult circumstances. Paul talks about here in this passage, we can have hope, we can have peace, we can have joy. But in addition to having these things in eternity, how can we grow now in our experience of increasing joy unto abundance for eternity after we have received salvation by Jesus Christ? And and that's an important question. How can we begin to lay hold of this joy now, even in difficult circumstances? And I think one of the good answers or one of the best answers to that question comes from Jesus in the Gospel of John in John chapter 15. So right after Jesus in John chapter 14 said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on as he is taking his disciples through a really challenging, difficult period of time. He says this in John chapter 15, some famous words from Jesus. In John 15, we read this in verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now note this, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you about abiding in the vine, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So there are those words again, fullness of joy. All of these things, Jesus says, I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The fruit of fullness of joy in my life is the result of abiding in Christ. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter five, he tells us that joy is among those things that is listed as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy and then peace. There's that peace again. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is, among all those things, one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. So just as we considered in our two previous messages, we have a sure and steadfast hope in God by the saving power of Christ. And we have peace from God, peace with God, and peace in God by the same saving power. And also through prayer, as we saw last week. And now we see that we experience joy, even in difficult and trying circumstances. We experience a joy that is increasing unto abundance for eternity as we abide in Christ. So that brings up the obvious question, how do we abide in Christ? Well, we abide in Christ by 
abiding in his word and allowing his word to abide in us. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. So how do we abide in Christ's word and allow his word to abide in us? Well, one of the ways we do that is by going through the teaching of the scriptures together as we do here at Cross Connection Church every single week or on our website like you're doing right now. So you're abiding in Christ's word, but then you need his word to abide in you. How do you let the word of God abide in you richly? Well, by spending time reading it every single day, by thinking about it, meditating upon it, by memorizing it, by just consuming it, studying it, all those different ways, we are abiding in his word and his word abiding in us. So as we abide in God's word, we allow his word to abide in us. We are abiding in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we increase in joy. Another way that we abide in him is is as we believe what his word says and we do what his word teaches. So we take God's word into our hearts so that we would believe those things and we would do those things. And you are abiding in the Lord as you keep his commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, says John chapter 15, verse 10. So we abide in the Lord as we abide in his word and his word abides in us. We abide in the Lord as we believe and do what his word teaches. We abide in him as we remain in and engage with his body, the church, we're plugged into the vine and Jesus is the vine and all of us, his body, his church, we're all branches. And as we abide in the church, in his body, we're abiding in the Lord. There really is so much more that I could say about abiding in Christ. There are entire books written on the subject of abiding in Christ, but we can really boil all of this down to this. The experience of increasing joy is ours as we abide in Christ, as we remain in him, connected to him, connected to his people, connected to his word, we begin to increase in joy. Now, that doesn't mean that you, as you abide in Christ and as you have his joy in your life, that you will never have difficult times or unhappy circumstances. You will go through challenging things, just as Paul talked about there in Romans chapter five, that we have joy and rejoicing even when we go through tribulations. So we will experience difficult circumstances, unhappy situations, but even in the midst of those trying circumstances, you can lay hold of this deep inner peace and this joy. Paul wrote about being exceedingly joyful in tribulation. That is a reality for those who abide in Christ. He wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he talked about the church in Philippi, the Christians in Philippi, and he said that in a great trial of of affliction, they experienced an abundance of joy. In Colossians, Paul linked suffering and joy together. Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, he was compelled to endure and suffer the horrors of the cross for the joy that was set before him. So we see in the scriptures that joy can even be found in really challenging and difficult suffering. James says in James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How is any of this possible? It is possible because joy is the result of faith and trust in God. It is the byproduct of salvation. Uh, David talks about the joy of salvation. It is the fruit of abiding in Christ. And it is available because the king has come. And that's why we, every single year at Christmas, we sing those words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And so it's my hope that you are experiencing and increasing joy in your life as you abide in Christ. Because as we abide in the vine and we abide in his word and his word abides in us and we are connected to one another within the body of Christ, 
then we begin to have God's joy be in us and our joy begins to increase unto abundance that's going to extend on into eternity. So I realize that right now, some of you that may be watching this, maybe you're watching it at the very time that it goes live on the internet, the third Sunday in Advent, or maybe you're watching it months or years from now. I don't know when you'll be watching this, but God knows where you are at in this very moment. And maybe you find yourself in a place where you don't have hope and you don't have peace and you are lacking in joy. I want you to know that these things are found in Christ Jesus. In and by Christ Jesus, we can have a hope that is sure and steadfast, that does not disappoint. A hope that is an anchor for our soul, even when we go through challenging, difficult circumstances. And in the midst of whatever circumstance we're going through, as we have this kind of hope, we can have peace and rest, a peace that surpasses understanding. Even when everything seems to be falling apart around us and other people are wondering, how can you possibly have peace in the midst of this situation? You, from God, can have a peace that surpasses understanding. And because of that, you can have a joy, an inner gladness, an inner peace because of all that Christ has done in and for you. And I hope you know that. And all of that is accessible to you as you put your trust in Jesus Christ. But if you are a Christian today and you've already trusted in Christ and you are lacking in this fullness of joy, well, the fruit of fullness of joy in my life is the result of abiding in Christ. And I want to encourage you this holiday season to remain in and plug into Jesus, plug into his word, connect with his word, connect with God in prayer, connect with others within the body of Christ and see if your joy does not begin to increase. But I also think it's important that sometimes there needs to be some pruning in our lives. Remember what Jesus said in that passage in John chapter 14, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it is cut off and gathered and thrown into the fire. I know that there can, from time to time, be unfruitful branches in my life, things that are not producing fruit, that are really producing stress and anxiety and the loss of joy. And a lot of times those things are connected to social media or connected to the corporate news media. And sometimes I just need to cut those things off so that I can plug into God and his word. And I wanna encourage you to do that if you are finding that you're lacking joy right now. But I also just wanna pray for you. And even though we're not physically present with one another right now, God works by prayer. And he wants to work in your life to bring about hope and peace and joy in abundance because Jesus is the source of all these things. He's the embodiment of these things. And when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the advent, the coming of hope and peace and joy into this world. And so God, I pray for anyone that might be tuning into this broadcast, whether it's the day that we launch it or it's weeks or months, years from now. Lord, you know where those people are right now that are hearing these words. And Lord, I pray that you draw by your spirit those people who are hearing these words to draw near to you and that in drawing near to you, they might experience your hope, a hope that is sure and steadfast and anchor for our soul that makes it possible for us to endure whatever difficult thing we go through and that they might have peace. Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray for that restless person that might be watching this right now, that you draw them to you, that they would come to you and experience your peace and your rest. And that there in that place, as they connect with you, they connect with your word, they begin to connect with other brothers and sisters within the church, that they would begin to experience a joy that is increasing unto abundance forever, for eternity. And ultimately, Lord, we have a hope 
that we will be with you in your presence. When this body is no more, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be with you in your presence because to be absent from the body is to be present with you, Lord. And there in your presence, we will experience fullness of joy forever, pleasures forevermore. But though we're not there in that place yet, I pray, I pray that we can begin to experience your joy right now. And Lord, I pray for your church, those who have already experienced your peace and your hope and your joy. I pray that this holiday season, this Christmas season, we would be able to share those things with other people because there are a lot of people that we interact with on a regular basis who are lacking peace. They're restless. They're lacking hope. They're lacking joy. And I pray that we would be able to give those gifts as we share the good news of your grace with them. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.